This is the podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Sport On here on Money FM 89.3. Joining me are the sports podcasters from The Straits Times who have their own sports podcast called A Game of Two Halves. I'm Howie Lim sitting in for Bernard Lim and with me are assistant sports editor Rohit Rijnath and sports correspondent Sazali Abdul Aziz. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Howie. Hey. Nice Hi, to good here. to be here. So we're talking about esports today. We're revisiting some Sea Games matters as well and discussing the US's victory over the internationals in the President's Cup. But first up, the Global Esports Federation launched in Singapore just hours ago in fact Sazali you covered the launch what can you tell us about it Yep, still uh, catching my breath from oh you know, coming to office just like a, a minute before time. But yeah, I mean, the, the Global Esports Federation, or, or GEF as it's called, uh, was launched in Singapore uh, at the JW Marriott Hotel. It's not exactly an uh, internationally recognised body yet, but that's what it hopes to be in the long run. There are a number of other global bodies that try to manage uh, esports, which is obviously has grown in popularity and is uh, continuing to glo- grow in popularity. But I think the GEF seems to have the most credibility in terms of sort of linking the idea of esports and traditional sports. Mm. Um, it's, it's held by uh, Chris Chan, who is the Secretary General of the Singapore National Olympic Council. Um, and among the Vice Presidents are Shamin Crooks, who's a, a track and field athlete who represented Canada at the Olympics five times. The Vice President of Tencent, which is a Chinese, uh, obviously a huge conglomerate uh, from China and obviously also involved in in esports and gaming. They hope to be eventually um, recognized as, as the body uh, for, for esports. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's an exciting start. Yeah, what's this mean though for the launch, this launch for esports? Yeah, like... like um, Step in the right direction at least. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's a need certainly because uh, esports is sort of gaining recognition from, from the traditionalists almost. Uh, at the 2018 uh, Asian Games, it appeared as a demonstration sport and um, just last month at the SEA uh, Games in the Philippines, it was actually a competitive sport. Mm. I think the, 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 the ultimate goal, I guess, uh, would be for esports to be uh, recognized by uh, the IOC and, and eventually be sort of ratified as an Olympic sport. I think that's the, the long-term goal. But to get there, I'm sure there are a lot of challenges. You know, for example, Singapore's National Sports Association, Association for Esports actually has um, provisional status. So it's, it's not a, a fully-fledged NSA yet. There are several guidelines and criteria they have to uh, meet, meet before before they get that status. So, uh, and that's Singapore. So uh, that a lot of other nations also have issues sort of establishing their one body that will improve over time. Uh, the situation will clear up in in different countries, and and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see esports in the Olympics. What do you think the, the issue is? Fuddy duddy like me thinking if you don't sweat, it's not a sport. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know that that's uh, I think that's a uh, very interesting. So. Uh, one of the things that um, GEF, um, you know, the body that was launched today, um, is trying to counter is this misconception about esports. You know, a lot of people think, you know, what kind of message are you sending out? You know, where, where kids should lock themselves up in the room and play games <laughs> twenty four hours a day, right? Will earn you money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and actually, some of them actually do already have that that yes. um, opinion. Uh, but what the GEF is trying to do is is trying to say, hey, look, with technology, for example, there's a prototype for uh, a taekwondo esport where the it's not as physical as actual taekwondo but 
there is some sort of physical. Yeah, not, not helping the argument there. Yeah, exactly. yeah, well, let's, the... let's get Rohit on it. You're a much respected sports columnist. You've been uh, covering sports a long time. What are your views on esports? Yeah, so I have to be careful because, you know, this weekend I just started a new book on a sportsman I really, really admire. And his name is uh, Vishwanathan Anand, and he's an uh, Indian who is a world chess champion many times around. So I have to be careful if I like the world chess champion. I have to be careful what it's I say about esports. Okay. So I went to see it actually at the Asian Games because I was really intrigued. And I think that uh, irrespective of my age, I've got to keep an open mind. I have to accept the fact that sport is changing and sport should change. I think, you know, there are going to be different types of sports that appeal to different generations. And also, I think sports within themselves change. I think, you know, cricket, for example, has different types, you know, of cricket. Now you have T20 and all sports are trying to be more action-oriented. You know, they're trying to be shorter, you know, to, to suit television. So I found a, a big crowd at the eSports at the Asian Games. Mm. Lots of young people. I tend to come, even though what I said about chess, I come to sport from the same angle as you, that I feel they, I would prefer if there's something athletic about it. So there's definitely nothing athletic about this. And uh, I don't know whether being in a dark room with all these flashing lights and you can't really see these guys at work. You can see what they're doing, but you can't really see them because they were behind consoles. I'm sure they're very But a lot of people go and watch, you know, so I think... Does popularity itself make something a sport? Mm. Uh, does that... Uh, but, you know, now at the Olympics, uh, we're going to have sports climbing, you know. And we're going to have skateboarding. And uh, I'm okay with those. Uh, because I th- think those are young people's activities degree. which are very athletic. If, if this gains a really big movement, we'll have to see what happens. But I mm. think it's important as a writer that I keep uh, an open mind. <laughs> Let's turn our attention to local sport then. Specifically, the Singapore National Olympic Council's stunning rebuke of the Football Association of Singapore last week over the FAS decision to punish the nine footballers who broke curfew at the SEA Games. Azali, what happened briefly? Okay, so um, the Singapore football, uh, national football team, the 22 team returned to Singapore um, and I think within a couple of days of returning, uh, sort of uh, gathered at the Jalan Besar Stadium to, for a disciplinary hearing convened by the Football Association of Singapore. Uh, this was on the same day as the closing ceremony of the SEA Games. So the SNOC was, and, and its officials were, were still in the Philippines. And at the, the review of the team Singapore's performance at the Philippines, um, you know, uh, Christian again, you know, mm-hmm. uh, who's, you know, obviously we mentioned earlier, Christian mentioned he doesn't know why the FAS is naming the players and, and starting disciplinary proceedings without, without the SNOC. Yeah. He's, he's saying that they, they should be uh, the ones, you know, conducting all this business. So, whatever the case was, the hearing that night at, at Jalan Besar Stadium was adjourned to a later date. Although it sort of raised a few eyebrows about, you know, whether there's friction between the National Olympic Council and the, the national football body, uh, you know, in terms of how they, they view this, this situation. What about the rest of the sports fraternity? Those that we spoke to more or less agreed you know I spoke to boxing we spoke to swimming um, silat as well and a couple of other sports and the administrators uh, administrators agree that if it's not a sport specific competition for example it's a it's a sea games Asian games Olympic games Commonwealth games first bite so to speak Mm. should belong to the SNOC because they are the body that's responsible for sending these athletes there. Uh, if it was simply a, a Suzuki Cup football tournament, the FAS obviously has, has every right to take um, you know uh, action immediately. Although the FAS also came out and said you know they 
named the players and did what they did um, because what they felt they, they, they had to in terms of accountability and transparency and, and they only named the players after they had uh, obtained written and, and oral admission from these players. So, you know, we can see the FAS's point but maybe they were a little bit hasty in, mm. in trying to sort of lay down the law. Yeah, I think, but I think this is just, you know, this is, becomes like a trivial sideshow for me, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, I mean, I don't mean it in a bad way to both organizations, but for me, more important is, you know, we have to somehow improve the culture of 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 football you know and where we 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 you know young people if they're breaking curfew i mean i don't think it's the biggest sin in the world but of course you cannot be doing it during a tournament there's no question about it and i'm writing a column actually today about the fact that look when you when you come from teams which are not as good as other teams then the one weapon you can have is discipline you can't necessarily be taller than somebody right mm. and you can't necessarily be bigger than somebody but you can be you can have that much stamina you can train harder you can rest well you know you do all the small little things well and, you know, so your weapon becomes discipline. It's like, you know, to use Nadal, you know, one thing about Nadal, you know, he's going to come to every point with 100%. And that's scary. So I think that that for me, the more important thing is that how do we fix this culture that, you know, we, we have this professional culture where people realize that these small, small things matter. And I in, in no way do I demo, want to demonize the players at all. It's about just fixing the whole thinking around mm. you know a sport that for me is important would you uh, agree with that uh, Sasali? yeah pretty much um, I think uh, bigger fish to fry right yeah I mean uh, it's it's about like, like I said the, the, the players will face some sort of punishment and, and rightly so but I think like Rohit mentioned it's it's uh, the bigger picture you know you sort of have to sort of change the entire mindset um, I, I understand from from you know people who have understanding uh, of the the case you know that some of the players were not remorseful, you know, when they were when they were caught, uh, you know, thinking that so like it was no big deal, you know, for like for a better term, uh, and you know this has to change. Assistant sports editor Rohit Bridgenath and sports correspondent Zali Abdul Aziz. This is the Straits Times Sports on a game of two halves podcast. You can listen to us live on Money FM eighty nine point three from five o'clock every Monday, or subscribe to a game of two halves on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and like us. Give us a rating as well, Rohit. Basically, I was suggesting that there was an incident in in Australia recently where two uh, players uh, in the AFL, you know, they were uh, caught uh, drinking alcohol at a concert. Didn't mm. behave badly or anything like that. But they they got in they got into trouble and they got sanctioned because they were both injured. And when uh, their protocol is, if you're injured, you can't drink alcohol because it impedes recovery, right? So they got I think demoted or whatever. They had to go down to help the coaches train the second eleven or something like that. But the punishment was given by the leadership group and the leadership group was made entirely of players. Mm. And that is the sort of culture that I like, where mm. the responsibility for everything is within the players, that they take it upon themselves, that we are going to have this code of conduct and that's a, this is the way we're going to be. And I like that. Let's very quickly talk about the sensational victory for Team USA in the President's Cup over the weekend. The Americans had entered the final day of the tournament, trailing by two points, but ended up beating the international team by the same margin. Rohit, much of the media coverage painted the victory as being down to the US captain, Tiger Woods, with some players quoted as saying they played for him. What does it say about his leadership skills and does this achievement add to his legend? 
What does it say about golf that it's resting on the shoulders of a 43-year-old man? <laughs> but uh, what a 43-year-old man it is. It's going to be 44, I think, on the 30th of December. So, I mean, what can, I mean, he's amazing. So, I just opened the Golf Digest uh, homepage uh, on my computer and it had 13 mentions of him. I mean, he's like... But, you know, in a way, it's nice. This is the great rehabilitation, redemption of Tiger Woods, confirmation of how great he truly is. I mean, really... He understands moments very well. That's all, that's all I say. You know, he won all his matches. I think these guys, he doesn't really intimidate them anymore, which is actually a good thing. Because I think if he was the figure he was before, he was so in, in, intimidating but very remote. Mm. It would have been very difficult for him to lead these men. But I think now they respect him completely. They know. I mean, he's outrageously good. But I think they have a much better connection with him. He is not that remote because he seems real who, now because of what's real, happened you know, to him. He, he, mm. he actually talks to people on the course, <laughs> which he didn't do before. So that was one type of tiger and this is another type of tiger. And, and I think he likes this, you know, being in this slightly different role. I think he's embraced it, you know. I mean, he knows he's not going to be 22. That that time is past, right? And this is a different role. And I think he's he's obviously liking it. And there's no question... He has never wanted to lose in his entire life. And I'm pretty sure they did not Who want does? to disappoint him. Yeah. Okay, five Asian players on Ernie L's international team this year, up from three. Is this a good sign for Asian golf very quickly? Yeah, very good sign for Asian golf. I think it's always good. More numbers is always meaningful. I would say that eventually in the end, the male golfers have to learn from their women counterparts who are, of course, brilliant and win majors all the time. So I'm just uh, hoping for another breakthrough by an Asian golfer in a major. I mean, for me, that would be a really, really big deal and something I'd really welcome. Mm. Assistant Sports Editor Rohit Bridgenath and Sports Correspondent Zali Abdul-Aziz joining us today. Gents, thank you so much. Yeah, nice to be here. Nice to be here. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast at sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times and The Business Times online.